Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Mike Edelhart, managing partner with socialstarts.com and joyancepartners.com. Mike, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So Mike, give us a bit about your background and how you got involved with socialstarts.com. Sure. Social Starts is the latest expression of the careers of two of us, myself and a fellow named Bill Losey. And Bill and I have been geeks for essentially about as long as it's possible to be geeks. Bill started and sold one of the very first software companies ever before the IBM PC was even released uh, back in the 1980s. And then he came in as the original publisher at PC Magazine at Fifth Davis. And I began my career as a journalist uh, with a deep sort of science background and wrote about science, did science books, wrote science articles for magazines, was at a science magazine called Omni, uh, did a science TV show for children's television workshop way back when. And then I became part of the founding team at PC Magazine, and that's where Bill and I met. And then Bill and I progressively went through pretty much all of the Ziff Davis magazines, PC Magazine, PC Week, uh, PC Computing, and uh, I also started and oversaw the Ziff Davis product testing and network testing labs, which were the largest technology testing labs in the world back then. And uh, at the end, uh, Bill and I were the president and EVP at Ziff. And when the Ziff family sold in the 1990s, it was Masayoshi-san at SoftBank who bought 
And Sansan began pounding money from SoftBank into the very earliest internet companies, first money into Yahoo, GeoCities, dozens of others. And I was part of the group that did that. There was a little SoftBank Zaibatsu back then that included the folks that are now at Union Square and folks at Lira Hippo and Techstars and uh, uh, quite a few funds. And uh, that's where Bill and I actually began putting money into startups. And then Bill went on the board at Idea Lab. I was a partner at a big fund. And we got back together about five years ago to do this fund because we felt this generation of tech would be even more impactful on business and society than the first two tech revolutions, PCs and internet that we've been part of. And we wanted to be helpful. And we thought that a fund would be uh, an appropriate way uh, to do that. Well, very good. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a really diverse background and uh, leading leading the two of you back together to uh, for this this third wave. What are some things, uh, maybe some differences that you see between the last wave of uh, tech revolution, like I guess probably the internet revolution, and what you're seeing right now? It's a terrific question, and and we actually see differences uh, in all three. The biggest difference from the PC revolution is that uh, in the PC revolution, no one was self-conscious about becoming important or becoming rich. It was inconceivable in the early days of the PC revolution. In fact, most of us who were involved back then were made fun of. Those poor losers can't get a date out there trading chips with their little soldering irons at the Trenton Computer Fair. Oh, my word. (laughs) And uh, it happened that PCs became very impactful, but nobody expected it. And ever since, entrepreneurs, and now we're even seeing college and high school kids, um, uh, direct their education, direct their lives towards startups in the belief or expectation that uh, it's going to make them popular, they could get rich and important. And that was simply not the case at the beginning. The other big difference is scale. Uh, I point out that when PC Magazine first started, I think our original circulation was 75,000. That probably represented everybody on earth who cared about micros at the very beginning. And even in the early days of the uh, uh, internet, the population you know, in the IETF, the engineering community around the internet, the academic community in DARPA and things that supported the internet was at most some tens of thousands of people. And from those little tiny bases, look at what the internet and uh, uh, PC-based uh, technologies have done in the world. And if you now think about social networking and the other technologies that have emerged recently, we're talking about billions of people right from the beginning, orders of magnitude more people all over the world. And so we think the current generation of tech is simply going to leave nothing unchanged. And uh, we're excited to, uh, in our own uh, way, be uh, helpful in uh, finding uh, extraordinary uh, people and helping them take the early stages toward essentially creating the future. Very good. Now. Tell us about how socialstarts.com is helping with that. And let's, if we can kind of get into uh, Joyant's partners as well, I understand yeah. that's kind of a, a newer fund. So, yeah, give us some, yeah. uh, some background on how those two work. I sure will. So uh, uh, I'm the managing partner of both, and Joyant's and Social Starts are separate but cooperative, uh, very early stage venture funds. And they're unique in a number of respects compared to the typical venture fund. One is that we're geographically distributed. Most funds are New York funds, LA funds, Silicon Valley funds. We're everywhere. And the reason we're everywhere is that we are very intensely focused on what we call the moment of inception. Our goal, if we're doing our jobs perfectly, 
is to literally be the very first professional investor uh, an entrepreneur talks to. We want to be there at the beginning. And in order to be there at the beginning, we feel like we need to be on the ground wherever uh, really great startups are likely to appear. And uh, so we're not in one place. And we're also not in one category. So many funds will say we're a medical device fund, we're a blockchain fund, uh, or we're a SaaS fund. We're a fund about whatever our research indicates is going to be the next change in human behavior and the next change in tech that is getting ready to uh, go up the adoption and value curve. So we change what we focus on over time based on that analysis. And the third thing that's unique is we're extremely intense in our research and outreach, finding new teams. Uh, we are geeks. You know, we ran big labs. We're uh, uh, data-oriented and tech-oriented folks. So we have software that finds new teams. We do social signaling, uh, physical outreach, a whole range of techniques to essentially uh, be aware of every brand new team in the areas of investment focus that we have identified. So social starts will identify 4,000 or so startups in a typical year, meet with maybe half of those, and has been investing in brand new companies at the rate of just about one new company a week for the past five years. So we're one of the most active uh, early stage funds in the world, even though we're a relatively small fund. And uh, what Social Starts tracks is where social mobile technology is going to have its next big impact. So five years ago, first check into Pinterest, social networks being new, first check into Boxed as mobile commerce emerged, first check into uh, Greenhouse as the mobile uh, social behaviors moved into millennial work lives and more recently into some aspects of blockchain and uh, where Joyance comes in is we identified uh, some unique and extraordinary impacts related to health. A lot of investors have recognized that health in the sort of healthcare medical industrial complex is a, a great place to invest. There's a lot of money spent there, a lot of value. Um, what we had seen, though, was something a little different, which is that uh, individuals seek, human beings seek, and always have sought in their personal lives, what we're calling delightful moments, that opportunity right now to feel a little happier, a little healthier, a little calmer, more confident, less subject to anxiety or pain. And that's expressed uh, in every culture in one way or another. Uh, yoga, uh, the endorphins from exercise, the aroma of fine wine, the transcendence of uh, opera, the dancing of uh, uh, Sufis. Uh, all of these are uh, examples of delightful moments, and we began seeing a whole range of tech from genetics. We can simply eliminate that issue from your body. Cellular technology, we can adjust the way your body works, personalized pharma, neuroscience. We can see what is happening in your brain and perhaps interact with it. Food science, food is mood, AR, VR, and robotics have the potential to deliver those kinds of experiences. And we felt that was very exciting. Um, our partners agreed, and so Joyance emerged using the same kinds of techniques to be there at the very beginning in the technological vectors of happiness. Uh, started investing in October, and we just actually announced Joyance formally uh, this week. Oh, very good. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know about that, that happiness factor and uh, the idea of uh, 
investing in, in companies that are, are starting on that. What are your kind of initial type of companies that you're, yeah. you're, um, you're in right now? It's, uh, it's a, a great question. We have, just to give you a sense of sort of what we do and how we do it, in Joyance, which has only been active since uh, October, we've identified and evaluated just about 1,500 companies. And these companies are in areas related to biosciences, certain aspects of biosciences, certain aspects of neuroscience, and uh, certain aspects of AI. I'll give you some examples. So one company, our very first investment is a company called Aromix, A-R-O-M-Y-X, which comes from Stanford uh, uh, primarily and is digitized taste and smell using some traditional techniques, but augmented by, uh, by uh, AIs uh, to make it much more precise than has ever been possible before. And that has impacts both in the physical world. Here's a medicine that's incredibly important for you to take. It smells horrible and tastes worse, but now it doesn't. The other is here's something really healthy, but it smells and tastes just like Coca-Cola. Um, and uh, uh, we have another called Giant which is sort of a, not spelled as you'd expect, G-Y-A-N-T. And Giant is a bot. There are a lot of bots out there, and most of them we think are kind of ahead of their time. But in this case, the bot uh, completely replicates the kind of experience you would have with the triage nurse, the kind of human being you would get if you call the 1-800 number there, give you from your insurance company. And that's an incredibly structured interaction. And so it works really well. It feels just like you're talking to a triage nurse. Um, it is less expensive for the insurance company, but it also produces perfect uh, analytics on what the person asked, what their tone of voice was, a whole range of things. And uh, it came out of the accelerator program at Cedars-Sinai Hospital. And just the fact that Cedars-Sinai Hospital has an accelerator program tells you something. Um, we have a company called Thrive, which is personalized probiotics based on a really deep dive of your gut biome. A company called Figure 8, which is plyometric tape. That sort of black tape you see athletes wearing, except this plyometric tape is smart. It can actually see inside your body while you are moving and see what is wow. happening to your muscles and ligaments and all that so your trainer can perfect your training, uh, perfect your uh, uh, rehab. And, and just one more uh, from the VR side, uh, depth kit, which is essentially a way to tell human stories in VR. So where VR comes into this notion of joy isn't so much changing your body, but changing your context. So terrible what happened to your legs while you were serving in Afghanistan, but great that we climbed Kilimanjaro together in VR yesterday with all the psychological and emotional benefits to come with it. So what DepKit does is it allows uh, anybody who's creative using normal cameras to tell a human story in 3D, full 3D, and drop it into Unity or any of the other uh, VR platforms. So think of it as low-cost VR green screen, much, much lower cost than has ever been possible before. So they're being featured in places like Sundance and the you know, Tribeca Film Festival and uh, uh, are getting a lot of attention from the creative community as a way to begin telling human stories in VR. So it gives you a sense of the kinds of things we're seeing. Yeah, those uh, those VR uh, immersion things. I, I was recently at a indoor skydiving place and they had a, a they added some VR goggles onto the experience. And I didn't get a chance to do it then. I know I will eventually, but just the idea of being um, really there in that, that experience that I, I normally wouldn't go out and do. That's just incredible. And, and the emotional side of it, the impact of it, 
um, I can totally relate to that, and I'm sure many of our, our audience members can as well. Yep, exactly. And there are uh, use cases. So th with VR in particular, there's a little bit of a natural tendency to think that's going to be entertainment. But the biggest impacts from VR may actually not be in entertainment. And uh, here are a couple of examples. We're seeing this right now. We're evaluating companies that do this. VR properly applied appears to be incredibly effective at pain management post-surgery. So it's being used to reduce the pain of surgery in children instead of opiates. And what happens is it turns out when the brain is flooded with evocative sensation, and that's what VR really provides. It just can saturate your brain with things to react to. The brain borrows resources from other parts of the brain, leaving less of the brain to process the pain. So the physical pain doesn't change, but the perception of pain goes down. And in the early uh, applications, it appears to go down just about as much as opiates would. Uh, and with the opiate crisis and the need to find ways to treat um, uh, difficult situations like this, it's um, looking really uh, interesting. And the other is VR as a component of sort of a whole system um, related to mindfulness, uh, being calm, uh, getting over anxiety states. So in the past, there's been guided meditation. You're walking down a long hallway, you see a golden stair and all that kind of thing. But what's happening now is with the biologics going on. Here's the VR saying, here's a waterfall, here's a sunset, here's beautiful birds at dawn. And the biosensors are going, the birds at dawn worked. His heart rate went down. His breathing went down. He is calmer now. Let's keep going. And, and so there's an ability to use the VR as a way to maximize the impact of things like meditation or even certain kinds of psychiatric interactions and possibly help folks with things like PTSD, uh, societal disenfranchisement and things like that. We're seeing really interesting, uh, powerful uh, uh, potential in uh, a number of these technologies. Yeah, definitely. Th those things definitely sound amazing. I know, you know, it it's really easy to get caught up in, you know, um, specific elements of technology, but I think, I think for overall affecting um, the human condition, those are the things that make the, the biggest impact um, long-term, especially. So, yeah, the VR component is especially exciting to hear about. Um, you mentioned a couple of other things as well. You, I, I know you mentioned food as mood in the beginning and uh, uh, also uh, robotics as well. What kind yeah. of uh, things are you involved in in, in those senses? Sure. And um, I'd say right now uh, we're more in exploration than investment, but I'm sure we will invest in both of those um, based on our explorations. In food, there are really three aspects uh, of it. One is the fact that technology seems to have reached the point of being able to create entirely new foods. So we are looking at companies that are creating meatless meat and fishless fish that biologically and chemically are meat, are fish, or have all of the characteristics of meat and fish. Uh, and so they're just whole new foods, whole new ways to feed people uh, or potentially produce uh, delight without uh, negative consequences that may come from some traditional foods. Another example we're seeing, this is a real company in the Bay Area, creating biologically perfect breast milk without mothers. So right now you either have breast milk, which you need your mom, or somebody who stands in for your mom, or formula, which doesn't have the protective immune system benefits and other 
benefits of breast milk. And now it looks like we're going to be able to see non-breast milk breast milk that is chemically and biologically identical, which will potentially make children simply healthier and transform that whole business, that traditional formula could be completely overmatched by a new generation. Um, the the second is uh, uh, new kinds of ingredients. So uh, we're about delight and experiencing something you've never experienced before that sort of stretches your um, uh, the uh, world that you uh, interact with. So the first time you had sriracha sauce or the first time you had sushi or um, things like, or even more recently, you know, the flavor of turmeric and things. Um, so we're very interested in uh, new ingredients, uh, particularly those that have health aspects. Uh, an example there, there are certain kinds of sugars, not the typical sugars we see today, but sugar science has known about for years, but they're very, very rare and extremely hard to get at. And now with new techniques, it becomes much easier to create them. And some of these rare sugars actually burn calories. So imagine putting sugar in your coffee and you're going to burn more calories than if you didn't have it. But it tastes like sugar. Um, and the third is this uh, uh, growing recognition in science that your gut biome, all the microorganisms and things um, in your gut, in your digestive system and your brain are quite deeply interwoven. And that by adjusting the gut biome, it is literally possible to adjust mood. And that means when we talk about food as mood, certain kinds of food may actually be able to help people in the way that, say, serotonin and uptake inhibitors help folks with uh, depression or certain kinds of drugs help folks with um, um, anxiety. And medically, I mean, rather than waiting 20 years and saying, oh, you got an ulcer, now you've been so anxious, um, to begin interacting with these little changes right in the moment so that the long-term problems that come from the stress or strain, uh, the uh, uh, intrusion uh, in your body won't happen because it's being uh, essentially uh, smoothed out uh, in the moment by the, by the food you eat, literally. Um, and in terms of robotics, very early, we uh, are looking at one company now, but it's pretty early. The long-term thing is this notion of hyper-enablement. So in the past, if something terrible happened and the grinding machine at work chopped your hand off, you are now less able than you were before. But we're seeing, you know, plug-and-play bus structures for prosthetics and things. So that means you might actually be more enabled than you were before because your plug-and-play hand, you have one for work, you have one for tennis, you have one for cooking, you have one for romance. Your hand is like super hand. And, you know, the current sort of expression of that is why do the athletes that have metal legs who don't have full-length legs not run in the Olympics? It isn't because they're slower than the regular athletes. It's because they're faster. Um, and uh, so we think there's going to be rather a, a revolution there. We're starting to see robotic-type systems that can stand in for sight. We have one company we've invested in that allows um, individuals who cannot hear in the traditional sense to hear through their skin, hear through their skin. Yeah, wow. I know it sounds a little odd, but imagine you have a watch and the watch is picking up sounds in a very sophisticated way and is producing patterns of pressure on your skin that you can rather quickly, I've actually used it, recognize, oh, that was the sound of a slamming door. That was the word hello. I can tell from the little teeny tiny pressure on my skin that that was the word hello. 
and um, and uh, so folks that are profoundly deaf can hear. Wow, that's amazing. It's a lot of fun, and um, and both of our funds are looking at these kinds of things from their own uh, perspective. Uh, you know, the sci-fi stuff is intellectually really intriguing, and um, we think it have a big benefit, but. Right now, the area of investment focus that's most intense for us and producing the most value is what we call digitally native uh, vertical brands. And, and, you know, the products there can seem pretty straightforward, sweaters, shoes, um, all kinds of things. But the rising generation doesn't like going into stores as much as previous generations. In fact, they really don't like going into stores. Um, and uh, uh, they like the experience of digital interaction, the community that comes with it, and the businesses that create products that way um, have better economics than traditional retailers and know more about their audiences and have real community. And um, we think they're putting enormous pressure on traditional stores. I'm not sure how a traditional store could, in the long run, compete with someone who can make better products cheaper uh, have a deeper relationship with the customer and a more efficient operation. So we've invested in a number of those. And Adam that makes uh, uh, high-end uh, cashmere sweaters, helps, gets more money to the guys in Mongolia, who grow the goats, uh, sells the sweaters for half the price a traditional store would sell them for and makes as much money. Um, Wolf and Shepherd shoes, which the shoes look like fancy men's shoes, but they're high-performance athletic shoes inside. So they actually had a guy run a half marathon, set a record in men's dress shoes. So they're incredibly comfortable. <laughs> and, um, you know, former chief designer for a couple of really well-known uh, athletic shoe brands, um, uh, it's just a better product sold in a more sophisticated way. And we're, uh, and that, too, is a, a form of delight and moves in the direction of how are you going to sell personalized products, not off a shelf in a Walgreens? There have to be more um, conversational, flexible individualized way to create and sell these products because your product won't be the same as mine. That's interesting to think long-term what that does to uh, brick-and-mortar um, stores and how they're changing their models. And, you know, eventually what we see is, a, you know, a, I guess back in the 80s, the, the malls were, were the big thing. And um, imagining what that would landscape, the physical landscape would look like without the shops there that you go to yeah. and imagine how that changes uh, just general day-to-day -day stuff with um, in life period. So yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating to think about those, those long-term things. So Mike, yeah, um, it, it is for sure. If you yeah. walk down the street in Manhattan, now you see a lot of for rent signs. Yeah, definitely. So Mike, we're running uh, a little bit short on time. I was wondering uh, where can people find out more about you and the two funds that you are managing? Well, um, uh, social, www.socialstarts.com and joyancepartners.com. Joyance is a medieval word for delight. And our portfolio companies um, are listed there, and um, you can reach out to me uh, through those. You can reach out to me, uh, Mike Edelhart, through LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm pretty much Mike Edelhart everywhere and um, am happy to uh, hear from folks and interact with folks that are interested in these kinds of topics or that have uh, startups or that know folks that have startups. We uh, love hearing about uh, uh, companies we're set up to uh, interact with uh, a lot of companies and are always eager to uh, be made aware of what's going on really anywhere on the planet. Great. Mike, any final thoughts before we wrap up today? 
Just one really quickly, and we're talking about the future, and we get asked pretty often as VCs, so what do you think is going to happen next? And the answer we give is the what we think is the honest answer, which is we have no idea. Um, we've been at this, Bill and I, for decades now, and the one thing we know is that the rounding error gets the future. And what I mean by that is nobody sitting down seven years ago um, in some big company or think tank would have said, I got it, let's start mailing CDs of movies to people, and we're going to completely deconstruct the TV business and put huge pressure on them. Or that, you know, uh, you know, frat boys showing pictures of good-looking girls uh, at Harvard is going to wind up having so deep a societal impact that folks are going to worry that uh, it's uh, uh, turning our elections and creating a new form of social isolation. So the straightforward, here's what's going to happen analysis, at least in our experience, is, has always been wrong. And so we as a fund are trying to focus just on the entrepreneurs themselves and what they're reacting to and what they're trying to do now. And we'll let the long-term future sort of emerge, uh, expecting to be entirely surprised. What's going to happen to Main Street is probably not any of the things that we would naturally put on a list of alternatives to traditional retail right now. Excellent. Mike, thank you so much for your thoughts and your expertise today. Uh, Mike Edelhart with socialstarts.com and joyantpartners.com. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.